Back with part two of our post-major Australian Open 2024 chat with the Hall of Fame tennis writer Steve Flink. And we are leaving off on Novak Djokovic, kind of unpack his semifinal loss against Yannick Sinner. For me, it was his worst slam performance since he lost to Marco Cecchinato at Roland Garros, which was kind of the last the last bad showing by him before he went on to win Wimbledon and had this kind of second great run of of success at majors i thought it he he hadn't looked so flat in a in a loss at a slam since then in my opinion steve do you agree with that yeah pretty much i i i i thought he was i didn't think he played well at all against medvedev in that 21 open finals very tight medvedev played a great match but djokovic you know had these chances to break early in the second and he was frustrated and I didn't think he gave a good account of himself there. I also think uh, not to be, it's a strange criticism to make, but the 2020 Roland Garros final against Rafa, and obviously he beat Rafa there the next year, and they've had so many great matches at Roland Garros, many of which he's lost. But the first two sets of that final were awful from his end. Uh, I mean, Nadal or no Nadal, it, 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 Djokovic was almost unrecognizable. So I would cite that one too, in addition to what you just mentioned. Uh, he didn't give us many clues afterwards. He, he was honest about it being the worst one he could remember. And he did allude to the fact that he'd had that virus. You know, he'd had a couple of things going on and the risk coming into the tournament. Then this virus, you could hear it in his voice uh, in some of those press conferences, although he seemed to be moving and he didn't seem to be in any kind of uh, uncomfortable state out on the court. So I didn't feel like that was bothering him too much. But it, 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 it was... It was such a foreign feeling for me as an observer to watch those first two sets. I mean, and and you're looking at Djokovic, but you don't believe it's Djokovic. Okay, so in terms of reasoning, and you're right, Novak didn't really spell it out, but there's the illness. It was a little windy, not quite used to daytime conditions, had been playing at night at the Australian Open. Law of averages in terms of just Every once in a while, it's going to happen. You're going to have that bad day in the office. Or, I mean, some people like to just be like, oh, age. Now, I don't love that one uh, personally, just because that's not really the pattern that we're seeing. I mean, do any does any one reason resonate with you more heavily than the others in terms of why, why he wasn't at his best? No, not really. It, I get the idea that you seem to be saying it caught up to him because we – but on the other hand, we've seen him struggle and lose sets in other majors and not necessarily be this best round in, round out. And he started this tournament with the two four setters in a row where he didn't look quite right and where he wasn't really hitting out freely on his forehand. So the wrist seemed to still be an issue. Then he seemed to get much better to me, starting with Echeverry and then the, the two love sets against Manorino. And then we come to Fritz and in the Fritz match, it, it was it was stifling conditions, so the worst conditions for him to start this match in the day when Zach, the, the temperature is still going up in the 80s and they go into the evening. And finally, by the last two sets, it was it was clearly not as as debilitating as it had been. And he played his best tennis in the last two sets against Taylor after struggling in the first two. But I even then I still didn't I still expected that he would do his automatic routine and understand that now against Sinner, what was required was something better than he played the whole tournament. Take it up another level. He's always been very good at doing that when he's had to. Obviously, he knew he had to play. I think he knew he had to play a lot better in the open final against Medvedev than he had against Shelton in the semis, even though he played 
fight against Shelton in the straight set win. So, yeah, it's it's a little bewildering to me. I, I, I suspect he'll talk about it more later in the year. He might reference it and explain it. And uh, but I, I, I don't really have an explanation. But obviously you cannot spot a top of the line center two sets like that that take barely over an hour and give right. him that quick and try to make your way back, which is why I don't. I didn't know how you interpreted Gil, but when I saw him do the fist pump at the end of the third set breaker when he won it, I didn't interpret that that he was saying, "I got, I'm going to win this match. No. Come along with me on the journey. I'm going to win this thing." No, I felt it was more relief and like, "Hey, I'm still out here. I'm not dead." I, I but it didn't he didn't convey to me the conviction that he usually does when he does a fist pump. It was it was kind of half hearted and deflated. Hundred percent. I I found the emotional flatness to be the thing as I was watching the match that told me as a viewer that this wasn't going to turn around and that Sinner was going to beat him. Um, and and I felt confident in that as I was watching. Where normally it would be in the back of my mind, okay, that's 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 the first set, but. Djokovic has a great record when he loses the first set. And okay, yeah. he's down two sets to love, but nobody's come back more times from down two two sets to right. love than him at majors recently. But in this match, it was just, oh, he's not even, um, emotionally, it's not there for this match, which has been, I think, a common theme in some of his more lower level performances. It's, it's usually the tell more than anything, right, Steve? Like when... when you mentioned the Roland Garros match against Nadal. That was one thing that kind of stuck out is it didn't seem like there was as much investment emotionally as that match was going on. So that's just one example. And to me, that was the signal that things were off. Absolutely. And, and you know, obviously veteran Djokovic analysts and observers, we all could see it. And it, it but it was hard to explain why, because... He talked so much coming into the year, even during this tournament interviewed uh, on ESPN and talking about how, you know, why not? I've never been uh, how he how every time he got to the semis at the Australian, he'd always won it. And why not try to have the ambition to try to win the Grand Slam this year? And it, mentality seemed the same, kind of like, look, yeah. I'm, I'm here to win and I'll settle for nothing less. And it was very strange to to see him in that emotional state. And it, and it was a giveaway. And by the way, the last piece of evidence surrounding that was the one, two game in the fourth when he's up 40 love and granted that Sinner played a tremendous point to get to Novak's drop shot on the 40 love point and angle it away for a forehand winner. That was spectacular from Sinner, but then the rest of the game was terrible from Djokovic and it, you know, and, and he absolutely had to keep holding there to keep some pressure on Sinner. The other mystery to me, by the way, in addition to the emotional, numbness the numbness that he seemed to have was the complete inability to pressure him in his service games and get to deuce in only a couple of games never even a break point i mean we saw against against spritz that he squandered 15 break points and i think six different service games you know leading up to the third set but then obviously he made up for it but you kind of knew you knew he was returning well just yeah. he couldn't quite couldn't find the balance on the break points to be a little more aggressive, and then Fritz would take the initiative. And most of them were great points played by Fritz, who got very aggressive and relaxed a bit. Fair enough. But that that's giving yourself all these opportunities. Here, he just was not putting center under any pressure. And, and yet, 
finished with 58% on first surge. That's not a, it's not an, not a crazy, it's not a Zareb type 78% or, or 84, 85% like he did against Carlos. I mean, you, when you're getting opportunities, second serve opportunities on 42% of the points, you should be able to do, to make some impression and make him work harder. And that was what was similar in the four set. Yeah, there was one deuce game after he got broken, a couple of deuces, and then Yannick Holt held on, got him to 15 30 in the last game. But he just, it, it just, that was just not Djokovic on the return. It was, it was, I, I, I couldn't understand why he wasn't able to adjust and figure something out in his mind so that he could string together two or three really good points and suddenly have himself at love 40 or 1540 and, and ask, asking the questions of Sinner. Yeah, just wasn't seeing the ball well or, or balancing well on, on the return or timing the ball well on the return. The stat that I went to is on Sinner's serve throughout the entire match, Djokovic only won four points within zero to four shots. And now that is a stat. No returner is going to really fare well in that stat, but four is is so putrid and it tells you that there is no offensive pressure applied on the return because usually Novak will hit enough good returns where he forces an error off of a return or he hits a winner on the fourth shot of the point. But no, he only won four points and one of them was the one center double fault. So really yeah. only three times, three times Djokovic had a good enough return to win the point quickly on the return. But here's here's what the, my thought on that, Gil. I, 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 I hear you and it's true and it's a revealing stat. I also just think that there... He could have tried. It wasn't until the third set, in my mind, that he suddenly that he got Sinner involved in some 14-stroke exchanges, some 16, some 20-stroke. The rallies were a bit longer where he could start orchestrating some points, whether it was mainly on his own serve, granted. But I felt he could have tried to do this more and Sinner to dig more, defend more. Just let him know that you're going to – that you're not – I felt the mistake he was making early on was trying to slug too much. And I felt like he was getting out hit. Mm-hmm. And again, his mind wasn't clear because normally he sort, he does sort through those things and he figures it out as, as the match is unfolding. And that's why we have that feeling in addition to the emotional state that you described that oh, he'll, he'll come around. He's going to make some adjustments. He didn't adjust well here at all. What he did in the third to me was he did start, he backed up his serve. He, he served much more pinpoint accuracy and and he, and he played a lot of really good service games and didn't miss much on his own serve. But even then, he was Yannick was just breezing through most of his service games. And that didn't make sense to me, given that Novak was elevating his game on his own delivery. And then we went into the fourth, and it really wasn't that much different. And it was baffling. Moving forward, big picture. I feel like until this is some sort of a trend or a pattern then it should be treated as an outlier. Totally agree. Totally agree. He was asked in the press conference, what do you think? Does this show that you're just older? And I forget how the guy phrased the question. I'm paraphrasing. But sure. the gist was, uh, does, that, does today's match show us that you're getting over the hill? And he was like, we'll see. And he was very nice about that, by the way. He wasn't defensive. I agree with you. I think you have to look at it as an outlier. I mean, for someone to ask that question when this man has just come off a year where he won seven titles, three of the four majors, finals of Wimbledon, year-end championships, one of his best years. Was it his very best? No, but it was close enough. And he was a clear number one by the end of the year again for the eighth time, ending the year at number one. 
No, it's it's pretty. It, it it doesn't make sense to me. No, he didn't. He didn't have a good Australian. We know that disappointing performance. No question about it. But we 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 need to see a lot more. And I'm still convinced over the course of this year, Gil, that he will win at least of the three left. He will win at least one of those three. I agree. I think it's going to be a good year. This didn't change that for me, and that's why I didn't love a lot of people attributing the poor performance to age because it's like what he wasn't old two months ago. Right, right. Like he, it's like he, he was old then. He's old now. Uh, no, no, no. It's yeah. crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. No, listen. It didn't help to have a wrist injury coming into the tournament. It didn't help to have this virus. A couple of things that kind of. Granted, there are other times when he could have still come through it and still won. But I think those were bigger fa- were the factors, not age, not age. No, I mean, uh, I, I just didn't see that. I, I didn't see that at all. In other words, it was the emotional numbness, the the fact that he didn't, he couldn't find the spark, the inner spark. That's what was going on. And I didn't see a man that couldn't physically go five sets. I saw a man that didn't think he was going to beat Sinner in that four set. He was still having deep inner doubts and it showed when he let the 40 love game get away all right we're gonna get to uh alcaraz verov then we we might talk about in general a couple players who got upset and then maybe maybe a few surprises uh let's start with with zverev since um he had the big win over alcaraz good start to the year for him it's impressive at united cup as well i mean i've never seen someone serve so big with such a consistently high percentage and and that's what I've been hammering home with his game is you know, like we are accustomed we are are trained to see someone serve over 70 percent and we say oh wow that's a really good serving set for Zverev it's not it's just a normal set like that's what he always does um it's actually a bad serving set if he serves 60. so I mean that's that's pretty incredible I mean what do you make of of his start to the year in terms of of the serving, uh, because it really is going to be something I think that carries him really far. Not just that his service big, but that he pretty much always is going to be at a high percentage now. Yeah, I agree with that. I wouldn't mind seeing the percentage dip down into the lower seventies in exchange for a few more aces. Yeah, because I, I think he's making a slight compromise, very slight, because those are still he's still averaging what mid one twenties. It's it's a great first serve. No, that part is very impressive. In addition to the way he's wiped away, we no longer see these this indecisiveness on the second serve where he felt like he either had to baby the serve in at about 75, 80 miles an hour or go for 130. You know, he just didn't know what he – now he's found a balance. He's not serving those doubles. Near, he, he, he's got it under control. That's also a big element, big, big progress for him. So I like all that. I felt like the the forehand was better than ever against when he had the pace to play off against Carlos. His forehand was just breathtakingly. Uh, it, it was just breathtaking to watch him tee off off the board, keep that keep that ball, the ball control holding up, and then able to approach down the line off his forehand. It just was was a sight to behold. That's the difference. Actually, what that that's to me the difference. When when he's playing at a level where it's like, wow, this guy can win a major versus when he's not like when he almost was losing to Lucas Klein and, you know, and and he had tons of trouble against Cam Norrie. The difference is the forehand, right? Because the serve, it's always there. 
especially now, and I, I agree with you about the second serve, but the forehand, there's this massive range of outcomes. Yeah, there is. No, and it was great to see. It wasn't as, obviously, it was more Medvedev giving him less pace. It wasn't as impressive against Medvedev. It was still very, very good. But here's what concerns me. Okay, the Carlos match. Probably should have run it out in straight. He's up, you know, 6-1, 6-3, 5-2, serving for the match. Got some love, gets from love 30 to 30 all with a couple of aces. Okay, granted, Carlos played a nice game to break him and then got out of 15-30 on his own serve and played a superb tie break. Zara winning the first two points. Carlos running off seven points in a row, five of them with dazzling winners. All, all, I give Carlos a lot of credit, but I think probably Zara should close it in straight. Nonetheless, great effort from 3-4 in the fourth. A deuce game on his serve. Holds on, breaks, and, and closes it out. That was a nice run at the end to make sure Carlos didn't push him into a fist set, which would have been dangerous. But then to then go up, he had you heard his comments, I bet, Gil. He made some comments that just of which is a look. Last year when I most of those losses to Daniel, I was still kind of on my way back after the injury at Roland Garros a year before, kind of basically trying to say, look, I wasn't quite good enough then. I am now. In other words, if I get in a winning position again, you won't see me do that. That Reading between the lines, that's what he was saying. So what happens? He wins the first set 7-5. A lot of breaks in that set. He needed to break Daniel three times, but so, so be it. Played a very good second set and then had those opportunities in the third and fourth. The fifth was, you kind of knew Medvedev would win that fifth set. But the, mm -hmm. the third and fourth, the two, both of them going into breakers, Daniel's serving at 3-4, love 30 in the third. He's serving at 4-all, love 30 in the fourth. The chances are there for Zara. Bit unlucky in the four-set breaker, granted. But, you know, you're serving at 5-4 and with a chance to end it. On your serve, you win those two points. You've got to make something happen. So I don't mean to be harsh on him, but I feel like this has been – happens to him too often. All those matches with Medvedev a year ago. The 2020 U.S. Open final against team up two sets, serves for the match in the fifth, loses that. I, he has not been able to prove to us that under pressure, when the chips are on, or chips are down, that he is going to rise to the occasion and win the, you know, win on the pivotal points in the biggest matches. So I still worry about that. Is that frankly he talks a bigger game than he plays? And. That's that's you hitting the nail on the head because that's where I was going to go with this. It continues to be uh, a prove it situation for me or I'll believe it when I see it situation for me because there have been all of these times throughout the last five, six years where Zverev will do something that will make people who are watching the game and I give them credit. They're trying to, they're looking at Zverev as a tennis player and they're they're making keen observations about how good he is. And then they're saying, well, he's going to win a major. But it's like, well, no, is he going to do that at the end when it counts under pressure? And, and that's the question. And if you, if you don't do that, you're not going to win. It doesn't matter if your top level is good enough to win. It just doesn't matter, right? Uh, so, so I and, he, and he's I shown the same us, way. He's shown us winning the year-end championships a couple of times. That's, a, that's an, an immense accomplishment. I, 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 I don't take that away from him. But at the slams... Things have gone wrong. And then just in other big matches, like the ones he had with Medvedev last year. So I just, I, I worry about him in that regard. And, and then again, you also alluded to the fact that the Klein match here, it, it eventually caught up to him too. That Klein took him into a fifth set tiebreak that Nori did as well. And yeah. so when, when 
Daniel pushed it into a fifth. And Zarev said later that he felt a bit sick. Okay, I understand, but the chances were there in the third and fourth. That's when he had to do it. And I, I don't know. I guess, how do you feel? At this point, I'm more optimistic that Medvedev wins one more major than Zarev wins one at all. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Um, there was one other thing that maybe I, I was going to bring up, but it slipped my mind. So let's go to Alcaraz. Uh, do you sure. feel like Alcaraz did anything in particular wrong or poorly in that Zverev match that cost him? I didn't see one thing. I, his level wasn't great. Obviously, those first two sets and he had some break points, could have gone up a break in the second. The first set, he got blitzed. I admired the comeback in the third. And they found it finding a way to salvage the set and making the fourth competitive. I think the serve, though, you and I have talked about this in the past. Someone as good as Carlos should not get broken as many times as he does in my mind. And I feel like he hasn't. They have, I still would like to, and we've talked about this too. I know and you and I agreed on this in the past. I'd like to see him serving bigger more often. Going for the 128s and 130s to the corners and trying to w win some points quickly and trying to, instead of, setting the table for his forehand just get the point over with get the free point on sir so i didn't i wasn't wild about the way he served in that match that would be the one thing granted a lot of errors as well but that i give the credit i, I have to say it was more about zarev executing brilliantly from the backboard than it was that carlos was so bad but i didn't i didn't like the serving okay interesting i i thought the serving was was positive at the year end championship and i was hoping that would carry over so yeah. let's continue to track it throughout the year uh, my main critique for Alcaraz was just how hard he was hitting the ball. I, I didn't think that was necessary. Not against Zverev. You want to hit the ball slowly to Zverev's forehand. And uh, there was not that tactical awareness. And he he really did give Zverev a ton of pace to just soak up and then be the more consistent player from the back of the court as a result. I think it's the it's sort of the macho side of him. Uh, Gil, you know, he likes he likes the idea of saying, like, hey, you want to get in a shootout? I'm here. Yeah, I'll get into this duel with you. you I, I can do this. You're great, but I can be greater. He fell into that trap. You're right. And sure. no doubt about this, the slow balling, the slower shots being more effective against, against Zarev. On the other hand, Carlos is not as comfortable with that. He can do it. He can do it if he has the right discipline and and if he looked at a tape, I think he'd agree with you. But I think that when it's while it's unfolding, he just he falls into that trap, that syndrome of, you know, OK, I, I'm kind of enjoying this. And, and, you, and you're do, you're doing a great job from the baseline, but I can do it better than you can. Well, that night he couldn't. Yeah. So if I would say back up, add a little height, add a little spin, use the backhand slice, which he has excellent, uh, you know, down the line. Uh, didn't didn't see much of that. It was just harder, harder, harder. What about uh, in part one, you know, we kind of mentioned that Alcaraz's post Wimbledon stretch has not been a disaster. If you actually look at it without some outsized expectation, it hasn't been that bad, but it's been frustrating because at the end of the day, you go week to week to week. And if you're at Alcaraz's level, you want to lift the trophy at the end. And that hasn't happened. Uh, but what have you learned about Alcaraz in the last um, in the last half year since Wimbledon? I mean, listen, I think some of that, I think he got caught off guard by Medvedev at the Open. Medvedev did get slightly more aggressive against him at the Open, not like we saw in Australia, but the forehand was a little more stinging and he had a great serving night. And 
but that you know, Car- Carlos had had played the great match against Novak in Cincinnati that could have gone either way, and it was a tremendous victory for Djokovic in the final set tiebreak, and then the semis of the Open. Then I think he came back too soon in the autumn, and you know, he had those couple of injuries, and it might have been wiser to almost let the, the season go, but he came back a bit soon and happened to run into Zarev in his first round robin match in turn, which he lost that one in tight three setter, but he still managed to make the semis and beat Medvedev there. So I'm not, I just am not that worried. Djokovic was at his peak over that weekend in turn because not only did he beat Alcaraz three and two, but he beat Sinner three and three. Those were two first rate performances from him. So, and then Australia, I didn't think Carly, he had a very easy draw and own, only uh, Senego was the only one that was gave him a hard time. And, and, you know, the Italian took him to four and tiebreak in the fourth. But otherwise, breeze by everybody else. So I, I going in, I thought he was probably going to beat Zara. Uh, so I don't know. I just feel like I don't think he's that far off. Let's put it that way. Despite the fact that this was a, you know, that he got beaten so uh, soundly the first two sets by Zara. I, I feel like he, and I also think he was hurt by, the absence of Ferrero. We, we can't know how, how much, but I think he would have liked to have had Juan Carlos there uh, at courtside. That wasn't possible. So I don't know. I just feel, I guess I'm saying, I think it's just a matter of time until he wins another title. And then once that happens, he kind of reacquires the habit of winning. This is kind of weighed on his mind that starting with Cincinnati, where he was so close, and then it just, it kind of, uh, it just, it just went from from one loss to another after that. It spiraled on him, you know. It, 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 yeah. yeah. And he's mainly, it's mainly been losing to top guys. There's been a few exceptions, but mainly losing to other top players and not being at his best and not being confident. We also know that indoors is, is his least comfortable setting. So you can say that it wasn't a bad effort to be in the semis of Turin. But I, I just okay. feel like... He's going to get out there. The, soon enough, the clay court season is going to be here. He's great on clay. Something it, It'll turn around. And then once he grabs another title, wherever he is along the line, and maybe it's maybe it's Indian Wells or Miami, but once it happens, then I think, you know, he's. It, it, I think he'll go back into one of his winning phases. I think we'll see some, see more titles and more confidence, and he'll start playing more the way he should. But part of it will depend on what we talked about earlier, that he's got to, Sometimes he's got to be more percentage oriented and he needs to look at some of these matches about where he might have gone wrong into being too adventuresome and too inclined to uh, try to beat the other guy at his own game or beat him to the punch. Yeah, he he's still to me a little bit young mentally. I do think that the I, I've seen the same thing and I've sensed the same thing that the losses, the struggles they have weighed on him, where maybe a more veteran player, it would kind of just roll, uh, what's the term? You roll off the shoulder, the, the losses? Yeah. yeah. Right, right, right. You know, just on, on to the next week, no effect. Um, but but for Alcaraz, I think still uh, mentally can, can go through his ups and downs. And I agree, when that next title comes, he's probably going to get hot afterwards. And by the way, I mean, Indian- we've seen him. We've seen him at his best. I mean, to, to do what he did in the two majors that he won, the three five setters leading up to beating Rude in the final, saving the match point against Sinner, and coming. He'd already come from a breakdown against Chilich in the fifth, and he beats Tiafo in five. All these hard fought wins, and then to beat Djokovic in five sets in the Wimbledon final. We've seen when he's mentally 
at his best what he can do and when you know when he kind of blends the mental with the physical and he's and everything is is working for him we we, we and and at those times he's looked incredibly mentally tough i mean so i i feel like that was not an accident and that he he will get that back but maybe he's just going to be more complex he's a more complex character than sinner or Djokovic, and maybe there's going to be more ups and downs, but the ups, we will see him reemerge with some of his uh, most impressive performances, his finest tennis. Yeah, as you mentioned, Clay coming up, but also the probably the best I've ever seen him play was Indian Wells last year, other than yeah. Wimbledon in the final against Djokovic. I thought he looked so comfortable on those uh, gritty hard courts. So, yeah, as he, he beat Sinner there, and, yep. and, and you know, it, it, he crushed Medvedev. Yeah. And, Killed Medvedev. Those were two back-to-back excellent performances. It's true. And and that's when he was in the right state of mind and making the right choices. Then when he's a bit more down on himself or a little more confused, we see a, a, the disarray. But I, I just can't see it lasting because I think he's just too great a player. I'm with you. All right. So normally this is where we've kind of talked about all the players who went very, very deep. And then I like to ask you about maybe some of the, the top players who didn't go so deep. The list is not very long for this event. If you, if you want to just talk about players who took defeats earlier than expected or, or, or didn't hold seed or however you want to look at it, it's really two names uh, in terms of contenders, and that would be Holger Runa and Grigor Dimitrov. Want to talk about either of those guys? Sure. Well, listen, Holger Runa... Granted, he was in the quarters of Wimbledon. Didn't play very well against Carlos. I thought that was going to be a closer match. Otherwise, he has not fared well in best of five. We've seen him. I mean, you know, you see him constantly looking, having leg injury problems. There's just been some physical dilemmas for him that he hasn't solved that I hope they will. And I, I, so here was yet another case where he just didn't look that, he, he loses to him. It's not a guy that he should lose to. I was disappointed in that because he ended the year when he when he joined forces with Becker. He seemed to that seemed to kind of revive him a bit. Played a couple of good matches against Djokovic that he lost, but where he was hitting the ball well and played a really good match against Sinner in the year end championships as, as well. You know, he we saw some good stuff from him that made me think he's ready to start. So I, I feel like they still have to solve the best of five issue with him. I I don't I I'm very confident and encouraged that when he gets out to places like Indian Wells and Miami, and then certainly on the clay, that we're going to see some great results from him again. The question is going to be, can he take that into Roland Garros and make it last over best of five? So far, he hasn't shown us that that ability that he can hold up physically under, under the stress of best of five. Yeah, that's a really good call. He's not the player who I back in terms of winning the war of endurance over the course of of two weeks best of five i also think mentally when the when the pressure is really high like i i don't want to say in general he's bad mentally because in some ways i really like him mentally i think he has desire to be great uh i think he he has a lot of belief and audacity but also you look at certain things that just don't align with what top players do he looks to his box between every single point He's highly emotional, ups and downs, and sometimes the decisions, shot selection-wise, it's like, what were you thinking there? That was totally, totally wrong. Um, so <laughs> I, I think mentally and physically, best of five, major, the setting of a major can hurt him a little bit. 
I agree. And, and, and yeah, it's a lot of emotional turmoil that he goes through. He needs to calm down. I think Becker will, over time, over the course of this year, I'm hoping that Boris will, yeah. will, will, will fix, help him fix that because that contributes. They're intertwined. Where I agree with you is they're intertwined, the, the physical and the mental. And he's taking, he's wasting that energy. By the way, that's another thing about Medvedev that was so impressive in Australia was the, the composure, the calmness, the tranquility compared to the Daniel of years gone by. And he did talk about how he wants to change that. And that's something that also is going to be a key to hit to his success or failure in the coming months and the next couple of years. And it will be for Runa. But I feel like Runa has the mentality, Gil. I like his mentality. I feel like he thinks big. He, he is not intimidated by anyone and he goes out there believing in himself, but he's now got to, sort out the rest the 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 unnecessary little uh, the unnecessary venting between points and and then save that energy for getting through long tough taxing matches which he's going to have to do at at majors but i but in between i'll be really surprised if we don't see you know between indian wells miami monte carlo rome all these places i i think by the end of the clay court circuit he's going to pile up a lot of wins and a few titles I agree. When Becker first joined and like I was watching his matches, I believe it was in Basel, a lot of what Boris was saying during the matches was just breathe, breathe, breathe. And I was thinking to myself, yeah, that's great advice. Just breathe. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Okay. In terms of players who had surprise. One quick thing, Gil. One quick thing. You also mentioned Dimitra. Oh, I want to go to Grigor. Okay. Yeah, obviously, Grigor started off the year in style, and we thought, okay, you know, we thought he might earn it and give himself a chance to play Medvedev and maybe go deep into this draw, and then he lost to Borgia. So it was a disappointing performance from him, uh, given the way he had ended last year and started this year. But I never really worry about him because I feel like his, he's got this kind of temperament and disposition that is very positive, and he won't be sitting around moping because of that loss. He'll just get on with it, and he's, there's no doubt that, that he's playing some of his, the, the best tennis of his career right now. So I think in the remaining majors, we could see some good things from him, not to mention at the other events. So I still expect Dimitrov to play, have a similarly uh, impressive year in 24, you know, compared to 23, I think, in the, and, and probably end the year somewhere between 10 and 15 in the world. I hope. Um, I I do worry a little bit similar to it's it's a little bit of a different flavor, but in terms of the nerves at majors, I I do worry a little bit because it's been a while and I, I thought he probably should have beaten Runa at Wimbledon. And this was a loss where I think if you look at the, the fourth set tiebreak against Borges, there were some moments where it seemed like the, the pressure got to him. This Zverev loss at the U.S. Open, he did pick up an injury. I kind of give him a pass for that one. And a lot of people don't know uh, that how how injured he was in that match. But just I was I was watching it live, and he couldn't move after the second set. Uh, I I but the tennis has been so incredible. I thought the Brisbane level was just through the roof, and I picked him to the semis. I I wasn't sure what was going to happen in that quarter. Thought there were a lot of you know Hercotch was looking good, Dimitrov, and then you had Runa, and then you had. Uh, Dimitrov. So it was a very tough quarter to call. Um, yeah, I just, 
the the only thing that's disappointing though is that it had been so long since Grigor had taken a loss like that. I mean, so long since grass court season, not a single loss that he's had has been to a player outside of of really the top twenty. It, it seems. I think maybe the one against Dan Evans, maybe, but that's it. Yeah. So, yeah, it, well, maybe it, some that, of that. that part's disappointing. Yeah, it is disappointing, but that's pretty hard for Grigor to maintain. To you know, as good as he is, and as as sound a player as he is, that's a hard record to sustain. But I agree, this was a match. I don't think he should lose to Borges, and then he gets a crack at Medvedev, and who knows what happens there. That would have been very interesting, given that Daniel hadn't. You know, we know what a what a a torturous journey journey he had through that tournament. So it wasn't going to be easy by any means against Grigor who'd beaten him last year. So I, I feel like let's do, I was sorry we didn't get to see that match. But what I'm saying is I think he'll put this behind him swiftly and move on and start playing really well again. And he, I think he feels like the way he played last year is, is the way he should play every year. Yes. And I agree with that. He's, he's such a professional and such a veteran. Um, he, he will definitely move on. Surprise runs, a couple of guys who we've kind of mentioned because they beat some big guns, but to their credit, in the case of Arthur Cazot, he got some wins afterwards as well. So he's the Frenchman who beat Holger Runa, uh, Nuno Borges with the fourth round run. Uh, Cam Nori, obviously someone who's accomplished more than than the uh, former two that I mentioned, uh, but it, it was a little bit of a resurgence because it had been so hard for Cam second half of last year and he has two excellent wins one over over Kasper Ruud and then uh, he comes really close to beating Zverev who played very well so those are the three names Steve I don't know if you want to suggest another who deserves to be no, mentioned I, I, I do want to comment on Nori what really what I loved about the way he was playing was I mean we always see that feisty emotive side and con constant come-ons and high highly charged and and makes you beat him from the baseline. He's a guy that works you hard in the rallies. What I loved about him here was the way he attacked. I've never seen him attack like that before, get in with such commitment, volley well, but take any opportunity to get to the net. And not recklessly, but just sensing when the when the right short ball had arrived and getting in there and volleying decisively. So I'm kind of encouraged about him in a way I, I have never been previously because he's added that element to his game. And I think that makes him more dangerous. I and think I, he's got I, a lot. Of, sorry, Steve. Um, I, I think he's yeah. got a lot of options now because you know we saw the way he played against Rude, which I think is probably the main match that that you're thinking about. Where I think he was like, Casper is not going to pass me over and over again with that two-handed backhand. So I'm just going to get to the backhand and come in. That's the game plan, and he just knows how to stick to a tactic. He does, and he you know he attacked at the right times against Zarev, and Zarev just played a very good final set breaker to finish him off but he was right that he did a really nice job to stay in that match and yeah i i i i, I feel a little differently about it right now i think maybe he he can make some progress this year and uh and and play more like he did in 22 again play better play even better all right steve so appreciate this as always uh just incredibly incredibly insightful anything i throw at you you uh you're always ready to, to take it head on to uh, hit an overhead off of it, so to speak. So <laughs> thanks as always. This was great. Thanks, Jill. I enjoyed it. Thanks for watching, everybody. Mailbag coming up later this week. And remember to subscribe to The Draw 
Link in the description, www.thedrawtennis.beehive.com. Hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe. I'll see you next time. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you mean cellar. the mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts.